0: Well, hey, if you're, uh, if you're somebody visiting us today, it is really good to have you here today. Um, <clears throat> this is obviously a time when we get together as a church to sing songs and hear about what God's doing in our body, to open up the Word of God, which we're passionate about. But I, I want you to understand that while this is the church gathered, this isn't the only thing the church is about. Man, the church is also about us living together throughout the week and knowing one another, caring about one another, but it's with a grander concept We really want our town and our area to know Jesus. At the heart of it, we have a passion that people would know Jesus Christ. And so with it, I'm glad you're here. Uh, We pray you join us. We think this is the greatest mission ever. God himself instituted it. He started it way back when man fell. And let me tell you something, when he finishes it, it's going to go out with a bang. And I can't wait for Jesus Christ to return. And so if you don't know Jesus today, I hope at the end of the day you will. So if you need a Bible, um, here comes... I didn't even have to say anything. (laughs) Everybody just knows this is my beautiful assistant. Look at that, man. He'll get you by. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love for you to have one if you don't have one today. Um, If you don't own one, uh, feel free to steal this one. This is good stealing. We want you to steal it. But if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, We're in the middle of a a kind of a mini-series looking at 1 Corinthians 8.1 through 11.1. Um. Someone I almost forgot to, gosh dang it, I didn't mean to forget to do this. A guy named, uh, 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 I think it's uh, Augustine Macias, I almost said it wrongly. Has anybody seen these around here? Everybody seen these? I saw it last night at Panera, or not Panera, at Subway. That's the other place I go a lot. Um, Man, my heart just went out to him. And a lot of times we don't understand as we age. It says he battles with dementia. Um... Can I just take a second and pray for him? And you know what? Like with it as well, um, you see a guy like this. Our job as a church isn't just to rescue from eternal hell, but it's also to be a church that rescues just from the fall of humanity. And so let's pray for him right now. Father, I just do pray for uh, Augustine right now. I don't know who he is. I've never met him before that I know of. But God, I pray that you would um, rescue him, Father, not just from the the things that can happen in this life. But God, I pray you would rescue him with a grander rescue in mind, that he might come to know you as his Lord and Savior. I pray that one day we would see him in heaven. And so, God, would you do that incredible work, Father? Help me today as I speak. Uh, you know I'm tired. Um, I know a lot of people around here, we're we're, we're in the middle of the holiday season, (laughs) and I don't know why we do it, Father, but we get more tired. And so would you help us today to focus? Would your word come to life? Would our hearts be pricked? Would they be warmed towards you? Father, if there's people that don't know you today, I pray that they would know you. So help us. We need your Holy Spirit to do a work today. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, well, I've been traveling. I drove straight through, left Friday. We got home sometime uh, yesterday, Saturday morning, I don't even know what time. So if I start to drift off, just somebody go, Todd, come back, come on. So we're going to do the best that I can to stay focused on where we're going. But here's what we've been doing. We've been talking the last few weeks about this green line, okay? This green line representing biblical truth. It's why we hand out Bibles. It's why we open our Bibles, that we believe the Bible is absolutely true, that when it was originally written, there were no errors. It has all that we need for life. It has all that we need to be able to be sufficient to what God's called us to do. So in other words, when we talk about the Bible at Cornerstone, what we mean is we believe it. We believe every word of it. We believe what it calls us to. And our heart is is to help other people understand God's word, because we believe that when God's word hits the heart of a person, their heart is softened, they are, for the first time ever, awakened to the truth that there's a God of the universe, and that God of the universe desires to know them. This green line matters. We talked about it like in 8, one through 13, though, that we're not supposed to connect ourselves to being weak, and we're not supposed to connect ourselves to being strong, and I love Christian's illustration the other, uh, last week about bowling. He talked about those are the gutters, and even, it was funny, right after I bowled on uh, Wednesday, I watched uh, uh, Christian's illustration, I heard his illustration about bowling. It's funny, I went up to the desk, and I asked the guy, hey, my kids and I would like a lane. And he goes, okay. He goes, but you're going to have to buy two lanes. I go, two lanes? And he goes, yeah, because I'm guessing you want bumpers on this one, and we don't let adults have the bumpers. I, I looked at him, I go, why not? And he looked back at me and he goes, because you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Part of this growing up in Christ is, is we don't need bumpers. God's word provides what we're to live on, and we are connect ourselves into God's truth as the means of knowing how we're supposed to operate in life. And the fact is, we can move along this green line in a healthy way, Paul tells us, not only to go and, and to help those that are in Christ to be able to be able to, to live along this green line, but also, remember, we talked about we want to live on this green line because we want to reach people for Christ. And while I was gone, I sat in coffee shops for three different days. In those three different days, I ran into people. In Billings, Montana, they're just as lost there as they are here. I'd love to tell you, and I've shared Christ with somebody, and he came to know the Lord, I got rejected a lot. But my hope was I came into their world for them to understand who Jesus Christ is. We can become like them. We don't become them. We can be like them to reach them. We can go along this line and reach all kinds of people from all different backgrounds because that's what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to reach people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every socioeconomic condition. We can go along this line because God has a heart for people to be brought in and be made his very own people. So that's what we've been talking about is how this works. Now last week, though, Christian brought in this idea, though, is that we have to be careful. Be careful. Be careful. He talked about it, and look at 10, verse 6. He kind of lays out this idea of what do we need to be careful of. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm going to give you examples, and they took place from the Old Testament. That's where he's getting it from. Now watch this. That we might not desire evil as they did. And if you remember right, when I started this little mini-series, I started with Psalm 19, and the thing that I said about all of us, every one of us in this room, is that sin is always there with us. There's hidden faults, things we don't even know about. There's presumptuous sin, just stuff that we do. There's even this stuff that just enslaves us, but Paul wants us not to lose sight of the fact that every single day that we battle, just like the people from the Old Testament, sin is just right there with us. And on my vacation, I had this huge desire that I was going to battle sin well. You know those times you set out to battle sin well, and you learn the lesson that sin is just still there with you? I was driving, and I thought, I'm going to have such a good attitude. Lord, would you be honored through my driving? I did great until Idaho. Snow started. And that's when, not me, but all the rest of the idiots came out. I was fine until the pressure and stress of driving on bad roads. And then they, I forgot, I was the one that had California on my license plate. And they're looking at me going, who's the idiot? It's just there with us, isn't it? Everywhere we go, when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night. Now with it though, he also wants us to know, look verse 11, that while it's always there with us, these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages is to come. And I loved how Christian talked about that. We live in the greatest age ever. I don't want you all to miss that. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Sometimes I say that and I feel like I'm bored with it. Don't be bored with that. God himself is alive in you. I said e Alive in you. I went www on you. Alive in you. And he is now given us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the very mind of Christ. I can think like Jesus and act like Jesus. I can walk like Jesus, interact with people like Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, it talks about the fact that the people from the Old Testament were longing for the day that all of it would be fulfilled, and those of us that have the Holy Spirit, we can now live like Christ has called us to live. But he also wants us to understand verse 12. Be careful. If you think you're all that, you're not. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The reality of living in this life is it just requires diligence. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, We have to be like athletes. See, you know this, is that the moment that you start to let down and the moment you start to get comfortable, right behind that just comes sin that's waiting right there, a world that's there, demonic forces that are all around us, and what Paul says is the moment you think you've arrived, the moment that you think you're okay, be careful, take heed lest you fall. Be careful. Now, what is it that he's worried about? Now in verse 13, he's going to tell us, look, we can weave through this. There's a way to get through this. And I love how Christian explained this. There's a way in which we can go through this. But now he's going to tell us in verse 14, what is it that we need to be careful about? What is it that we need to, to know and to understand? And he says in there, therefore, my beloved, here's the key, flee from idolatry. I, just, I want you to imagine with me for just a second. Paul's writing to this group of people, and on some levels, sometimes we think Paul was all angry. Paul was not angry here. You know those moments, those of you that have, have been parents or are parents in here, that you look at your kid and you say, Be careful. Just be careful. I have a son, I say this to you all the time. Josiah. Be careful. And he's my kid that never gets hurt. Be careful why because this world is just fraught with danger all around us he says is this reality called idolatry idolatry is this thing in which we love other things or other people more than we do god Now, he's going to talk about it being these stone statues, and we're going to kind of pull it back from that here in a little bit, but he says to him, and he uses this Greek word, fugo, sounds like a car, fugo, and he says with it, that word flee means I want you to run away into safety. When you see idolatry, you don't ask, you don't analyze, You run. See, idolatry, the whole way through the Bible, it helps us understand that whenever idolatry sets into who we are and our love for Christ wanders away from him, all we see with that, Paul says, is danger. He's just loading it up with this entire Old Testament context. Anytime God's people, if you watch through in the Old Testament, they would love God, they would start to wane from God, and the next thing you'd always see, idolatry had gripped their heart and they were far from God. And that's why Paul says, if you see it in your life, I want you to run away from it. Now why would he want us to run away from it? Look at verse 22. Here's the key. Because your God is a jealous God. Now, sometimes we think of jealousy as like petty. That somehow God is like, Oh, darn it. I want you for myself. It's not that at all. Jealous God, what he means is he will do anything to protect you, what will draw you what, from what will draw you away from him anything and by the way as a dad to us that's a great thing probably about two months ago i woke up to hearing our front door being opened and i don't know how many of you are this way because usually i'm a lover not a fighter but i became a fighter suddenly I got out of my bed. I looked for the first thing that I could hit him with, somebody with, and I didn't have anything to hit him, so I grabbed my wife. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I walked out, right, and I came out, and, you know, I was totally kung fu ready. I'm like, oh, and I came out through the door, and I, or through the, to the living room, and I looked out, and our front door was wide open. Instantly, I'm like, what in the world? So I took a roundabout through our living room, back down through our kitchen, through our dining room. Nobody was in there. I'm still in kung fu mode. I walk into my younger daughter Ryan's room. I'm listening there ready to fight anybody. She's fine. Everything's great. I walk into my son's room, and he's gone. I went running out of his room, and jealousy evoked within me. Somebody was drawing my son away from me. Is it bad at that moment that I wanted to go out and rescue my son? No. That jealousy that was within me was because he was mine. It was mine to protect. I went running out to, the thing, out to our living room, out through the front door, and as I get out to the front door, I see my son standing in the middle of the road. He was sleepwalking. <sighs> he woke up when I came out, and he's looking at me like, how in the world did I get out here? I just held my son in my arms. I was a jealous Todd, but we serve a jealous God. He's jealous for us. This is Paul's point. And then his next statement, his next question in here that he's asking are we stronger than he? He says this to him Are you seriously going to play with the God of the universe? What are you thinking? See, this is the heart of Paul crying out to his people, looking at them, saying, there is something that has entrapped you in this. Isn't this whole thing of food sacrificed to idols? You've got to understand that to be involved in this mission, it is fraught with danger. Now, here's what he's going to do now. He's going to try to help us understand this idea of a wandering heart. What is it about a wandering heart that gets us into this? And what we're going to try to do then is to try to work through how is it then that I as a person now don't wander away from God? How is it that I can protect myself from idolatry? So here's the first thing. Look at verse 16. After he talks about this idea, I want you to think with me here for a little bit in verse 15. He says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, what he's talking about, if you remember right, is that within Corinth at that time, they would have one group, of, or one thing over here, which was temple worship. They would go in and they would offer sacrifices in the temple. There was another case in which they'd go to these, like, restaurants and they would take the food that was sacrificed to idols. They would then kind of still worship the idol. And then there was food in the meat market. Now what was happening is, is that these people were going into the temples that were Christians and they were worshiping along with all the other people that worshiped that particular deity and Paul wants them to to understand, what in the world are you doing? Why are you thinking? And what he uses is the Lord's Supper to try to help us understand this. If you look down in there in verse 16, he talks about this idea of the cup that we bless. See, when we do the Lord's Supper here, it's not that, like what our Catholic friends believe, it's not that this, this cup turns into the literal blood of Jesus Christ. What it is, is it's something that we pull in front of us, and when we see it and understand it, that cup represents something so powerful and so special that Paul says to us, Let me help you understand what it means to go worship in your understanding of those idols. It's like when we bring out the cup, it's a menonym. Does anybody know what a mentonym is? It's a word or something that helps us that has a bigger meaning to it. Like in other words, if I said the suits, the suits are just executives. Or if I had a picture up here, if I had a picture of my family, or maybe somebody that's dead that I haven't seen before, I look at that picture and it's representative of something so much bigger. When we pull out the cup to celebrate the blood of Jesus Christ in communion, what we're seeing is that cup and all that it represents he says, "Don't you know that when we gather and we hold that cup out there, that that cup represents Jesus Christ's blood, and that blood represents His death, and that death represents the reality that your sins are forgiven?" He says, "No, we look at that cup." Then he gets into the bread. He goes, "Remember that loaf that we pull in? That loaf that we hold up in front is His body." loaf represents the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It represents God himself that came down to earth and he enveloped himself in flesh. He took on humanity so that he might now live the perfect life that was only he could live. To come and to proclaim to us what his kingdom is. To die, to be buried, to raise again. That that one that we follow, when we eat it, we say we want to follow in his footsteps. When we take it, both the bread and the cup, we announce to the world that we are Jesus's. I'm Jesus Christ's. Verse 17, that's what he's talking about. That's what we represent. Verse 18, he talks about the Old Testament people of Israel and the way they would go and their, their sacrifices, what they meant when they'd go to the altar, is they meant to God, we're yours. Everything about us, when they would offer those sacrifices and share them, it was their community life in which they would say, not only me individually, but all of us. We're yours, God. That's what it means to come into worship. Now watch what he's going to do in verse 19. He says, if that's what it's like for us, watch what happens in verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that idols in anything? He says, no, not at all. But this is what I imply. That what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. Paul's point is, you understand, when you go into that temple, when you come into this feast with them, you're doing the exact same thing that we do or the Israelites of old did. You're saying, I'm yours. See, I look out over a room like this. When we gather together as God's people, we are saying, I'm yours. And the idea of idolatry is the moment that I say to something else, I'm yours. And Paul says, it can't be that way. And then he's going to get into it. Can the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, can they somehow coexist together? Verse 20 20 and and 21. Can can also the bread, the the body, can this temple, can it exist, the altar? Can, Can it also exist with demons? He's like, it can't. They can't go together. They don't belong together. In other words, this is what Paul's saying. On this particular line, and I want you to get this, there eventually comes a point where God's people can go too far. We can get outside the green line. And the moment we get outside the green line, Paul says you will run into a God that is jealous. You can't play games. But we do it, don't we? You know this. All the time, even sometimes, when we get back to Psalm 19, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes willfully, sometimes just enslaved to it, we are out here in this place that we shouldn't be. Our freedom is not licensed to go sin. That's Paul's point in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh he's looking in and seeing as a dad I remember my parents coming up to visit me in college my mom looked at me she said Todd how you doing oh mom I'm great so good she goes great well why don't we come over to the house and visit as she walked into my house we always had these beer cans stacked as high as we could on the edge and she looked at me again when she came to the door and she goes how you doing Oh, my mom, I'm so good. Never been better. She came into the house, saw all the different paraphernalia that make a college student sometimes a bad college student. She looked at me and she said, how are you doing? This is what Paul's looking at them saying is how are you really doing? See, he's saying this Because he sees the heart of people that are drawn away from Jesus. One of the saddest moments I had while I was gone on my vacation, I ran into a group of pastors that I could just tell their heart was far from Jesus. I sat there listening to these two pastors talk, and they're talking flippantly about the church, and who cares if we shut down this church, and the people are stupid anyways, and I'm just sitting there going, Oh my gosh, I hope I don't act like that towards my church. And I turned around and I looked at him and I said, I can't believe you're talking about a church that way. They were both in their 50s, 60s, looked back at me like, you know, I'm some wild-eyed, idealistic 40-year-old. I said, I can't believe that you're talking about the blood-bought people of Jesus that way. See, this is what Paul's looking at. And I look out over a group of people, and let me tell you something. People always talk about Halloween being the bad holiday. We're coming up on a holiday that takes our heart away from Jesus faster than we know what to do with. My goodness. Is anybody else sick of advertisements? In this, behind advertisements, you've got to understand this, and again, we think they're so innocent and so who cares. Do you know behind those advertisements, I believe, is truly demonic. I think they're begging out to us, saying, buy me, own me. You'll never be satisfied, content, or happy, or joyful until you get me. All of it, Paul's saying, is just demonic. Behind all of it also, we get, up and we get caught up and everybody else goes, oh, Santa, he's so bad. If you rearrange the word, it says Satan, Claus. Santa's not our problem. On the twenty-first of December, I'm going to tell you the story of Good Saint Nick. He's a real person. Well, not the red suit, bowlful of jelly guy. Our biggest problem is that our flesh loves to hear it, isn't it? Man, I see those things come across the TV, and I just love it. Why? Well, when you go to the Book of Ezekiel, go there with me. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the larger books. But go to Ezekiel fourteen. See, idols aren't just outside of us. That's the key. It's not just something that we were erect on the outside. But look at God talk to the people in Ezekiel 14. He says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, man these men, look at this, Have taken their idols where? Into their hearts, and set a stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idol into his heart, "...and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of the idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols." Therefore I say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols. Turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel over the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separate himself from me, taking his idol into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I the Lord will answer him myself and I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people and you shall know the Lord that I am the Lord, and if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I the Lord have deceived that that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people, and they shall bear their punishment, the punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of the Lord may be no more go astray from me nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God declares the Lord God. You think he's serious? God does not want our hearts far from him. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you right now know your heart is cold towards God? Be honest. Right now sitting there, you know that there are things that have drawn your heart away from God. The reason your heart has been drawn away is because inside, the Bible says, we make idols in the heart. It draws us away. Remember the the, 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 the old hymn that it talks about, this, this idea of prone to wander, uh, Lord, I, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That guy, when he wrote that, just understood that within all of us is this temptation to pull away from God because of our, our, our sometimes... Uh, just battling through the reality of idols in our heart. In fact, Scott just told me this this morning. This guy that wrote this hymn ended up walking away from God. Talk about prone to wander. But he caught the essence of it. I bring all that up because my great fear over Christmas is that this church would in any way wander from God. You know what I'm talking about it just slowly happens, doesn't it? We get caught up in the decorations, which the decorations aren't evil. Your tree isn't a symbol of Satan. The gifts you give to one another aren't going to suddenly come out with demons all over them. But isn't it funny how good things can draw our hearts away from God? It's interesting not only how those good things draw our hearts away from God, but as we get further and further from Him, we suddenly are going to face a God who says, I won't let you get out there that far. Our God is jealous. That's even why later in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about this reality. Sometimes we think of God as as only this God that's somehow a mamby-pamby grandpa that's sitting in heaven looking at us going, I don't care. He says to the people, do you understand that the reason that some of you are even dying is because of your idolatry, your sin that's in your heart? See, I love the fact that I have a God that won't ever turn me away, and He's going to seek me out at all costs, even if it means the process of I may have to be incredibly pained to be drawn back to Him. And inside of Christmas it's just this constant lure that's out there amongst our world. This will make you satisfied. This will make you content. This will... And let me just talk to those of you that are maybe college age and high school students in here. Don't believe the lie that this world tells us that satisfaction is in things, that satisfaction is possessions, satisfaction is in getting degrees, satisfaction is in getting a large house with a red door and a white picket fence and a tire with 2.5 children and a kicking car and a hot wife. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You will never find satisfaction in anything because the way the Bible talks about it, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes, is all these things that our heart wander after, the end conclusion of Solomon was, it's vanity. Who cares? Listen to me, those of you in high school or college, because it comes hard at you. I promise you, you get to the end of your life and all those things I just said won't matter. They won't. Make your life about serving Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's trying to get them, is that as they pursued these other things and idolatry has drawn them away, he's looking at them as a dad almost saying, come back. Don't go out there. It's money, things. Retirement, those of you that are older, Man, I don't know how often I hear people say, get a good retirement. I tell you what, if you don't have a good retirement, now some of you out there are going, That's right. There's a story in Luke 12 of a man that put up a good retirement. In Luke 12, it said he got all kinds of possessions, he filled his barns and he said, Now I can be content and happy and sassy. And God says, You fool, I will take from you your life tonight. I can't find my satisfaction in my retirement. I can't find my satisfaction in my husband. I can't find my satisfaction in my kids. I can't find my satisfaction in my, if you are a woman, your husband. What Paul is trying to do is to exalt Jesus Christ and say, He's the only one who satisfies, no one else. You can stop your looking. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only one who satisfies. You can go all your life and you can look through all the different things in this world. You can try to find contentment and satisfaction in anything this world has to offer. and At the end of it, you will find it is vain. It is heart-wrenching. It is stressful. And Paul wants these Corinthians to understand that that idolatry that draws you away from him, that is the very reason that I'm looking at you that don't know Jesus Christ today. And I'm telling you, that is the very reason that Jesus Christ died. He died to free you from all of that. He died to free you from the mad pursuit of money, the mad pursuit of houses and cars and finances. He died to, pur- to set you free from the pursuit of sex. He died to pur- set you free from all these different things. Jesus Christ took and bore our sin that we can face it no more. And i looking at all of you that are believers, please hear me. Jesus satisfied. And not just temporarily, eternally. He is the way, He's the truth, He's the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And when we come to Him, we are promised joy and satisfaction and contentment like nothing this world has to offer. See what Paul's saying here? Don't go there. Don't go down that path. It's empty, it's void. Now how are we supposed to know that we're in it? These are just some questions that I've written down that I want to leave you with. How can I know where my idolatry is? I see myself far from God, but Todd, what is it in my heart that's doing it? Let me ask you this question. What makes you truly happy? Think about that for a second. What makes you truly happy? Here's another question. What do you worry about? What causes you to stay up late? Oftentimes when I can identify what my idol is by what I worry about. Do you worry about your kids a lot? Your kids are your idol. You worry about money? Money's your idol. Where do you find the most worth? Do you find your most worth at your job? Do you find your most worth inside of your home? Do you find your most worth? Where do you find it? That will start to tell me where my idols are. Here's the one that I think has been the most probing to me. And it's funny, I asked this question uh, a few years ago. I remember going to the hospital with you, and I asked this question What are you afraid of losing the most? You know that thing you're just afraid of losing? It sometimes tells you what your idol is. Now, what are we supposed to do about it? Paul said when we've missed the point, elevate Christ. Just become enamored with Christ. I read the Gospels this week. Whew. Isn't Jesus something else? My goodness. He came and human flesh walked amongst us, touched people. He didn't just touch any people. He touched the people we don't want to touch. And where did he touch them? He touched them where they hurt the most. Don't you wish you could have been there to see that? When he walked up to the blind guy, the guy says, I'm blind. And Jesus goes, yeah, no, duh. And he takes and he spits in mud and he wipes it on his eyes. I would have been like, dude, nasty. Give me a towel. And the guy's eyes came open. To the guy that was sick and stuck in his bed, he said, get up. To the woman who'd been bleeding for a long time, who touched him, he said, who touched me? She looked at him and said, it was me. Your faith has healed you. To the dad that came screaming and looking at Jesus saying, oh, what am I supposed to do? My, My daughter is dying. Your faith has healed her. He stood in front of the grave of his friend, Lazarus. And could you just imagine being there? And he looked at the grave and he said, Lazarus, why don't you come on out? And he came out. He walked on water. He calmed the seas. He fed 5,000. And at the very end, in his gigantic exclamation mark, He cried, It is finished, as our sin was nailed to the tree and we face it no more. He defeated sin and Satan and death, and you could just see a lull thinking, Oh no, it's over. Sunday morning, our Jesus came back from the dead. And he promised the guys, I'll be back. Just look to Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of faith. He is the one who stands amongst all of time. How do we confront idolatry? We just make Jesus bigger. And with that being said, I don't know how many of you in here may not know Jesus Christ. And I don't want to finish today without looking at you and saying this. Today is the day of your salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is a great day to come and understand how it is you can enter into this relationship with Him. You can stop the pursuit of all those things that God warns you about, those idols that are in your heart, and you can start knowing the God of the universe because of the work of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some of you in here that you know you're just your walk with the Lord right now is just dead and cold. Don't leave here today going, you know what, it's just how it is. You go through the good times, you go through the bad times. That's just how it is with Jesus Christ. That is baloney. And today, if you need prayer, then come up and we'll pray for you. Maybe some of you have never been baptized before, and you're kind of wondering what's kind of holding you back in your walk with the Lord. Well, doesn't it make sense that if you've never followed the first command that Jesus gave to his people to be baptized, that just maybe... That your disobedience in coming to the waters of baptism might be some of it to get baptized today. You're like, well, it's kind of cold outside. <laughs> Man, that makes you one of the toughest Christians of all time then. <laughs> Dang, what a better day. But for the rest of us, let me just say this. Be careful out there. And be careful in here. There's nothing more than the evil one wants to do than to deaden your heart towards Jesus over this season. Nothing more he wants to do. Dads, dads, lead your family into the greatness of Jesus over Christmas. Show your family what it means to walk like Jesus walked and talk like Jesus talked. And a lot of you are sitting out there going, I don't know if I can. And I would say that is a lie. You have the mind of Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. Walk your family into a different Christmas. I'd even say this, what the, what, what the heck? Let's just sell our stuff and give it to the poor. The kids are out there going, whoa. Todd doesn't I love Christmas. I just want us to look like Jesus, and I want us to come out on the other side of Christmas, the most joyful, content, happy, satisfied people on the planet. And if what we do is just buy into the lie of the world and go through our Christmas and become cold towards Jesus, we'll just be poopy people on the other side. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Jesus, there's so many things that draw us away from you. Protect us. Father, come get us. If there be any idolatry in our hearts, please come get us. But Father, may cornerstone church and all the churches in Simi Valley, would we be a group of people that don't hide from Christmas, that we don't get sucked into the lie that sometimes is Christmas? But by December 25th, Father, to our community, would Jesus look incredible. In your precious name, amen.